Welcome to An Amber A Day, the podcast all about functional nutrition for PCOS. I'm Amber Fisher, a certified nutrition specialist and licensed dietitian nutritionist, and I have training in functional medicine. I also have PCOS, and on this podcast, we discuss PCOS in depth, the nutrition strategies for it, as well as the realities of living with it and making this lifestyle work. For further guidance and meal plan support, you can check out the show notes for links to my PCOS courses and programs. And if this podcast helps you, please do me a favor and leave me a review. Thank you so much for being here. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to An Amber A Day, the functional nutrition podcast. I'm your host, Amber Fisher. All right. So today we're going to talk about um, what is the ideal diet for PCOS. You guys asked, and I'm going to answer. So here's the deal. You know, as a nutritionist who makes a piece of my living off of having my face on the internet, um, I get asked a lot of questions. And the biggest questions I get are around PCOS because that's kind of what I, I specialize in, that and fertility. And so especially lately, um, because of all my uh, videos on TikTok about PCOS, I've been getting a lot of questions about, you know, what what's the, like, what diet should I do? You know, because I've got, of course, everybody has their, their different um, diet strategies, right? Like we have, I have vegetarians asking me, like, how can I be vegetarian with PCOS? Um, I have people who want to do keto. I have people who do paleo. I have people, it, it really ranges all over. And I think what most people who are struggling with PCOS want to know is just what does the research say? What's the best way forward? And, um, you know, I'm strongly of the belief that if you give someone with PCOS the tools to know what to do about their situation, that they will try their best to do it. Um, I I think you guys are smart. You're capable of understanding scientific concepts. Um, and so today what I want to do is just do an overview of some of the most common diet types that I get asked about and what some of the research says about them and what my personal opinions are about them. So I want to do a little disclaimer before I get going that... Um, there's not great research about any of this stuff. So in nutrition studies are notoriously hard to do. This is something that they taught us in um, my master's program as we were going through research classes um, because, you know, they have the idea that you're eventually going to go on and get your PhD and potentially do some research. So when you get a nutrition master's, they talk to you about nutrition studies. And those of you who have been around a while know that, you know, we tend to go all over the place as a society with what we vilify and what we think is good for us, right? So if you were like me and you grew up in the 90s, like it was the low fat thing, right? Everything was low fat and you'd be eating like those nasty little cookies that were really, really sugary, but really low fat. And uh, they were like, you know, you'd see like packages of gummy bears. They still kind of have this sometimes. And it'll be like fat free, you know? Oh, wow. It's gummy bears that are fat free. So like they're healthy for you. Um, So we've gone through that. And then like in my adult life, I feel like we've kind of gotten back to something that is a bit more maybe um, 
you know, just a bit better for us. We've learned more over time. And so we're kind of moving back more towards like a whole food, sort of an ancestral type diet. Uh, A lot of people moving towards organic foods, a lot of people moving towards foods that are, you know, home cooked and homemade. And, and uh, I think that's good. I think we're on the right track with that. Um, but nevertheless, there are these different diet types, right? And these different fads that come up. And fads aren't necessarily a bad thing. Like sometimes people do really well on fad diets uh, because any fad is going to have a group of adherents that it works really, really well for. Similar to medications, like when you take a prescription medication, there's a range of people who the medication works perfectly for, exactly as described. But then you have people on either end of the spectrum who are either hypersensitive to it or who it doesn't work for at all. And that's why, you know, when you go to your doctor and you're like, well, this statin's not working for me. Well, your body doesn't tolerate that statin the same way that it's intended. So they switch you to a different statin or whatever. Um, so there's a lot of variation between what works for people. So my whole point with the disclaimer is that uh, there is no, there's no really great research saying this is the diet that works best for PCOS. What we have is a lot of information about different diet types and different um, tendencies toward different things and the ways that they maybe affect different markers. So the ways that this diet type affects insulin resistance, for example, Um, the ways that this diet type affects inflammation markers or testosterone levels or whatever, that the information Um, that you're getting today about what the best diet type is for PCOS is going to be based on some research. It's going to be based some on my personal experience as a practitioner. And the way that I put those things together, the way that my organization that I kind of identify myself with, Institute for Functional Medicine, um, the way that I have learned in um, my master's program, you know, all that stuff put together, that's what, that's what's going to happen today. That said, I will link to some of the studies that I mentioned today, um, so that you guys can look at it for yourselves. Um, a really great research guys is PubMed. Uh, so PubMed, um, you know, is the, is the National Institutes of Health database for research. And you, any citizen can go on there and, uh, search key terms and pull up, you know, pull up studies. I will say it, it might behoove you, like, if you really want to dig into the research on a certain topic for yourself, it would behoove you to maybe read a book or take a class on understanding research. Uh, because not every study is like what they call a strong, you know, a strong study. There are different types of, of research studies and some of them provide better evidence to support an argument than others. Um, and this is one reason why nutrition research is so difficult because a lot of it are not like the greatest quality yeah, studies. But right? just I just want to say, because it, like it's, it's, I feel like it's really sad the way that our system is set up to disenfranchise certain people, people groups, um, people who are not raised uh, with money or people who are not raised with like the family history of being involved in the higher education system. You know, um, like I was lucky because my dad has a college degree. He has a master's of divinity. Um, so my dad went through the whole like process of college and he helped me go through that process. He did my FAFSA for me so I could get my student loans and, and all that stuff. And, and so, um, 
there's a lot of people who are either rejecting the idea of, of higher education altogether because of, you know, some promises that we were made, especially as millennials that haven't panned out, right? Millennials, you with me? Um, but also because they were, they didn't have anybody to mentor them or guide them through that, that process. Um, and so, you know, you're kind of made to feel like you're not an expert on a subject. So you have no business having an opinion. And my personal opinion on that is if you have a diagnosed health condition like PCOS, um, it's your right to become an expert on that topic. Should you defer to your doctor for medical treatment and guidance? Yes, absolutely. You should, but you should also advocate for yourself. You, you should pursue understanding your condition and, um, you should know your body and nobody else should be able to tell you what's right for your body you know, over and above yourself. Like it should be a teamwork thing. And I fully believe that. Um, so that said, you know, you don't have to be like some fancy expert person with like an IQ of whatever to understand how to do research. You can read a textbook, like anyone can buy textbooks, right? And they can learn how to read research. So anyway, advocate for yourself, guys, learn this stuff. Don't just read cookbooks and blogs you know, I mean, I love that you're listening to my podcast. I love that you are listening to, um, you know, that you watch my videos. I love that you look at, look to me as kind of an expert. I love that because I feel that I am an expert and I've spent my life working on this topic, but that doesn't mean that you are any less smart than me, right? Like you have the capability to learn this stuff for yourself and, um, and you just have to kind of go to the source, right? Don't, always take all your information from people talking about the source like me, you know, go look at it for yourself. Go on PubMed. Anyway. Welcome to the alchemy of natural healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. Okay, so what we're going to talk about today are some of the biggest diet types that I get questions about because they're kind of the biggest ones that are, I guess, recommended for PCOS at large. Um, so we're going to first talk about a gluten-free, dairy-free diet or, you know, like a paleo type diet. Um, obviously there are some differences between those two things, but we're going to kind of lump those together and look at what the, the evidence kind of shows about that. Um, we're going to talk about keto you know, because I know a lot of you guys have questions about ketogenic diets, um, very low carb diets, Atkins style diets. Uh, and then we are going to talk about um, Mediterranean diet. And uh, we're going to talk about vegetarian diet as well, because I, I get asked a lot about being vegan, vegetarian, whether, you know, it's possible to do that with PCOS and all that. So um, obviously, I know that there are a lot of other kinds of uh, interventions that we could discuss. But, uh, you know, if and if there's any that you're particularly curious about, feel free to send an email to the podcast and we might cover it in a part two, maybe 
if there's enough interest for it. Uh, so let's talk first about gluten-free, dairy-free. So I know that there's there are some people who are kind of like major influencers in the PCOS community who promote a completely gluten-free, dairy-free diet for PCOS as sort of like the um, end-all be-all. And, you know, as a functional nutritionist, I don't like to get into these kinds of things where it's like, okay, this is the one true way, right? Um, because there's obviously variability in what works for each of us. However, I do think there's some pretty good evidence uh, for a gluten-free, dairy-free diet being helpful in PCOS. And also I have seen this play out in my work. So anecdotally with my with my clients, I see some good positive outcomes from this. Um, so I think a lot of this comes back to the quality of the diet. It is easier in a gluten-free, dairy-free diet to eat more whole real foods than it is in a typical Western diet. So which I should say that the diet that has the poorest outcomes for PCOS or that's the most likely to contribute to the development of PCOS is the Western diet, uh, traditional Western diet, you know, so lots of like refined carbohydrates, um, saturated fats, and, uh, you know, higher meat consumption, um, you know, just all like fast foods, fried foods, all that kind of stuff that we know is bad for us. Um, this is not new information, right? But the studies do, do kind of confirm that. So, but let's talk about gluten-free, dairy-free, and then, you know, by extension, kind of paleo type diets and what the research says about this, um, because it is a little bit convoluted here. So there's no diet that says like, okay, uh, gluten-free for PCOS, like this is, how it works and why it works. Um, but there are some some studies on gluten-free and type 2 diabetes, which is a similar um, condition, kind of similar, uh, and what's the word I'm looking for? Pathogenesis. Um, so a lot of, so with PCOS, you're at higher risk of type 2 diabetes because there's that insulin component that the two syndromes share or the two diseases share. So there's some evidence that gluten-free seems to make a difference for type 1 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes is a little bit more iffy, um, but there is maybe some evidence that that uh, gluten could be playing a role in uh, type 2 diabetes, or at least reducing it could help reduce symptoms of type 2 diabetes and improve insulin resistance. So it's something that's thought that, that they're kind of assuming by putting some of the research together, but they don't know for sure. Um, I can tell you that my clinical experience with gluten has been somewhat more, um, somewhat more iffy, I, I guess I should say. I have not found that specifically gluten-free makes enough of a difference in PCOS to really see any resolution of symptoms. So I do have people that come that reach out to me fairly often who have already been gluten-free for a while and haven't noticed any changes. Um, I will say that it is very common to have food sensitivities or food allergies in PCOS. And uh, there are people with PCOS who also have celiac disease. And of course, in those situations, um, particularly if you have autoimmune conditions along with this, so if you have Hashimoto's, um, there might be more of a connection here. Um, but, you know, just in general, I haven't seen gluten to be like this big end-all be-all thing. But I think what it does do, like I said before, is eating a gluten-free diet, that eliminates a lot of junk food. It eliminates a lot of sugar. 
uh, because you're not really eating baked goods and things like that anymore. Now that's changing though, because there are so many more gluten-free options now that there's more gluten-free junk food these days than there used to be. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see some differences there. There's also some, you know, kind of thought about like glyphosate and the different, um, the different uh, pesticides that we use on crops like wheat, and maybe there's you know some sort of connection there. We do know in PCOS that there's often issues with detoxification and you know with, like the liver not processing estrogen metabolites very well and xenoestrogens and the environment and all this stuff. And so you know potentially something that's toxic to the system like pesticides could maybe um, correlate there. Uh, so I do think that it's worth looking at being gluten-free. Um, I personally try to um, like practice gluten-free for the most part. I wouldn't say I'm 100% gluten-free by any means. Um, but I've also tested myself for food allergies, food sensitivities, and I, I don't have on blood work any issue with gluten. I have not found that eating gluten or not eating gluten makes any difference in my personal health. And I have tested it pretty rigorously. With clients, I've seen it all over the board. I've seen some that it doesn't seem to make much of a difference. And so eventually we get gluten back in the diet because, you know, like who doesn't want to eat whole wheat bread if they can? Um, and then I've had others that we stay gluten-free because it does seem to make a difference for them. So I think that that's one of those ones that's very, very individual. Now, the dairy one, I do actually think that there's, that there's some... Um, something to the dairy-free thing in PCOS. And, and I'll tell you why. So here's one that links a low-starch, low-dairy diet with the successful treatment of obesity and other comorbidities linked to PCOS. Um, this is an eight-week perspective uh, intervention. So, you know, not super great high-quality um evidence here, but they did put them on a low starch, low dairy diet for about eight weeks. All of these women were overweight or obese and had PCOS. Um, but after that eight weeks, there was a reduction in um, weight. There was a reduction in fasting insulin. There was a reduction in postprandial insulin, which is insulin after eating a meal and um, testosterone and free testosterone were also um, reduced. So that to me, I mean, it's eight weeks, right? And this is one of the problems with nutrition studies is they kind of have to be short because how you know how it is when you start any kind of diet. It's like, how long do you really, really stick with it? And so in order to try to get the best evidence they can, they make them a bit shorter so that they're not just putting somebody on a diet that they're maybe not going to follow through on and kind of mess with the 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 evidence that they get. Um, but there is, you know, these are all positive things that happened. Now, um, some things that maybe make it a little bit kind of like iffy are the fact that they were also on a low starch diet. And of course, low starch, um, starches are, you know, sim more simple carbohydrates that then can promote, um, insulin production. And so that, that could have been part of this as well. Um, but you know, one thing about dairy is that we know that dairy actually produces a stronger, um, insulin 
response than you would expect given the number of carbohydrates in it. So a lot of diet types, and I'm going to talk about this more when we get to keto, but a lot of diet types focus on dairy, um, you know, because it's like a good source of like fats and, and it's low in carbs. But actually, the actual physiological effect of eating dairy, it does bump your insulin up higher than you would expect it to, even though it's very low carb. So my personal opinion on that is, you know, we want to kind of reduce things in the diet that are going to bump up our our insulin level, um, especially if we're trying to like be careful about the amount of carbohydrates that we're eating. And um, I do see a lot of food sensitivity in PCOS to dairy, a lot, um, food sensitivity and food allergy. So um, I'm much more often than I see gluten. In fact, dairy is kind of the most common sensitivity that I see. So I do recommend with PCOS that we go dairy-free. And oftentimes I say at the beginning that we do go gluten-free as well, because why not? If we're already doing dairy-free, it's not that much harder to do gluten-free as well. Um, but I think that there's some merit to the, to the dairy-free stuff. Um, now, there is some dietary kind of studies that look at, um, that look at dairy and inflammation. And so I've done some research on this to try to figure out, okay, well, is dairy inherently inflammatory? Because you hear that a lot as well, like dairy is inflammatory food. And, um, I do kind of think of it as an inflammatory food, but, uh, some of the research that's been done doesn't necessarily say that it's inflammatory. There's actually been some research. The research evidence is very conflicting on dairy, very conflicting on dairy, which could account for the fact that there are so many different types of dairy products, you know, I mean, from things that are all, you know, primarily milk all the way to like heavy creams, which are mostly fat, um, cheeses, which are fermented and that changes the composition. So there's just a lot going on there. Um, but some of the studies have found actually benefits in dairy consumption in those with metabolic syndrome, which is also associated with PCOS. So, uh, the bottom line is that we have to figure out with gluten-free dairy-free, um, what's really going on here why do those interventions seem to help in practice? And uh, my theory on that is that when you do a um, a dairy-free, gluten-free diet, the diet quality improves. And I also think that food sensitivities to dairy are very, very common in PCOS. And so I think removing dairy helps reduce inflammation in that particular population. That's just speculation on my part. But that's what I've seen, like, actually in practice, because I do ask almost everyone that I work with on PCOS to be dairy-free for a certain length of time. Um, not everyone, but most people I do, um, just, just kind of to experiment with how their metabolism responds to that reduction of dairy. Um, you know, dairy is also high in, like, saturated fats, which are another controversial kind of thing. But I do find that when people are on kind of a healthy diet, if they, uh, dairy becomes this thing that they lean on where if they can't have other things, like let's say they're trying to eat all whole foods, right? Um, so they can't do, you know, packaged things and bars and all that other stuff. So instead they tend to lean on cheese in particular because it's this very like satisfying food, um, and it's flavorful and, all of that. And so, uh, I think that people just rely on it too much and eat too much of it. 
for the most part. So sometimes doing a diet intervention like paleo, where you're eating all whole foods and you're cutting out grains and dairy can actually be really beneficial for your system because it just not only does it kind of reduce inflammation from those aspects if they're a problem, but also it gets you kind of used to eating differently, um, to focusing more on vegetables, which is what we all really need to do um, and have trouble doing, right? So I think that there is a value in doing a dairy-free, gluten-free diet for PCOS. And um, I, I think it's a good place to start. I really do. So uh, I don't think it's the end-all be-all. I don't think it's necessary for everyone. But if you've never tried it before and you've never given it a significant length of time with good adherence, I'd suggest trying it. I mean, what harm could it do? Uh, sometimes people are a little nervous about calcium intake. It, you really don't need to worry as much about calcium intake with cutting out dairy as long as you're making sure you're eating enough vegetables. Um, you can get a lot of calcium from vegetables. And if you're having issues with calcium absorption, you want to look at your vitamin D levels because those two things are linked. So um, make sure you're not deficient in vitamin D. Okay, so that's dairy and gluten and um, inflammatory biomarkers. You know, it's a little iffy there, but I do think that there is uh, there's a place for it. All right, let's move right into talking about keto, right? Because keto is the one that everybody kind of wants to know. Do I need to do keto? Is this like the thing that that I have to do for PCOS? Am I like doomed to this ketogenic life? Um, Here's the deal. There has been some preliminary evidence on ketogenic diets being helpful for certain parts of the PCOS process. So here's one study that talks about um, that talks about keto in overweight women with PCOS, and they watched them for 12 weeks on a ketogenic diet, and there was a um, significant decrease in glucose and insulin levels, um, significant improvement of insulin resistance, decrease of triglycerides, cholesterol, and uh, rise in good cholesterol, lower, lowering in bad cholesterol. Um, the hormone markers, LH and testosterone were improved, and DHEA levels, which are uh, DHEA is a uh, Androgen that's produced from the adrenal glands were also significantly reduced. Um, estradiol, progesterone, and sex hormone binding globulin were all um, increased. That's, so, you know, that sounds good, right? Uh, and it's interesting for sure. I can tell you that, um, of course, it's early evidence and, and it is only 12 weeks. And I think one of the issues with the ketogenic diet is that we just don't know what the long-term effect of eating that low carb will do to the human body. Um, because we do know that, you know, for example, like diets high in meat and fat, that have very little fiber are really not great for the microbiome, for the bacteria in the gut. And we know that the bacteria in the gut play a role in how insulin resistant we are. So while a ketogenic diet might lower insulin and then by extension testosterone and improve symptoms otherwise um, at the beginning, the long-term effects we don't know. Um, and so I'm cautious with keto. Here's what I've seen because 
believe it or not, I know, I know I've talked about keto before and you guys probably think like I'm just a keto hater. Um, but I'm not, I actually, for a few years of my practice primarily did ketogenic diets with, uh, women with PCOS, um, because, and I've done it myself and, uh, it, it was beneficial for me. I mean, at least for my weight, like I, it was really helpful for reducing my insulin resistance. Um, and I've seen some women who have done keto and had gotten pregnant spontaneously, you know, had healthy babies, like all that stuff and, and having suffered with PCOS. So I definitely have seen some cool things from it. The reason that I don't do it anymore though, is that I don't think that for most people it's justified or, um, smart to do long-term. So I do think that if you're really struggling with weight and you've never tried it, um, you might think about doing like a kind of a clean keto. So, uh, something that's mostly whole foods based, right. And, uh, using your carbs for vegetables and not for, um, not for like Atkins bars or whatever. Um, and not using a lot of artificial sweeteners and all those things. I do think that there might be some merit for that for short-term weight loss, which can be helpful in certain situations. Like if you, you know, if you are an overweight woman with PCOS and that's your main struggle because, uh, it's the weight that you can't get off that's then holding you back from making improvements in your hormone levels, then keto like, like that, the way I described, might actually be a, a decent option for you to kind of jumpstart the process. But do I think that you should hang out there and live like that? No, I don't. I don't. And that's a personal opinion. And if the research proves me wrong, then I'm happy to be proved wrong. And then you'll see me being a big keto person myself. But this is the thing is that what keto does is it does lower insulin production. And that is, of course, the huge underpinning of PCOS. But in the long term, it might make insulin resistance worse. Uh, same thing goes for like intermittent fasting and stuff. It might make insulin res- resistance worse in the long run because it upregulates stress hormones. Um, keto might make insulin resistance worse in the long run because it might negatively affect the microbiome. And not only that, but then you're at risk of like, especially if you if you don't place a high focus on veggie matter and, um, you know, nutrient density on your keto diet, then you're at risk for nutrient deficiencies, which can also contribute to, um, reduced like glucose tolerance and all that. So I think that a little bit more balance with this stuff is probably necessary for most people. However, I think that there might be a place for it in certain situations. And especially as like a jump start, if you're able to, slowly transition yourself out of it and kind of have the discipline and the knowledge to know how to do that, there, there might be a place for it. So I guess I have mixed feelings about keto. You know, I don't think it's like the worst thing ever. Um, I also don't think it's the best thing ever for most people. If it works for you, I completely validate that it works for you. You know, um, you're the expert on yourself, not me. So, um, But, you know, it is kind of popular right now to like hate on keto. And I think the reason for that is because for a while it was really popular to be keto and maybe still is. And so like you get this whole thing that you probably have seen on, you know, nutrition social media where people like to fight, which I hate 
because I don't think there's any room for, for that kind of stuff in, in nutrition. Um, but anyway, um, so here's another, uh, another study that says, uh, high fat, low carb diet provided the first indications for clinical benefit in type two diabetes and PCOS ketogenic diet led to significant weight loss and had beneficial effects on lipoprotein profile and insulin resistance. Um, In half of the comparative studies with type 2 diabetes, the ketogenic diet led to significantly greater reductions in A1C levels. A1C is a marker of your um, blood sugar management over time compared to reference diets. Nevertheless, study results are too heterogeneic for a general recommendation of the ketogenic diet in this patient population. So there's not enough evidence to say for sure, like, yes, let's put everyone with type 2 diabetes or PCOS on keto. Um, And I want to say too, with that, uh, I think it would be a big mistake to put to recommend everyone with with PCOS follow the same recommendations as type 2 diabetics. Yes, there's a lot of overlap between those conditions. Yes, the insulin resistance piece is kind of similar um, or it's you know it is very similar. Um, however, there are different types of PCOS and some of them do not respond well to uh, the kinds of diet types that we would look at for type 2 diabetes, especially if there's a stress hormone issue going on. So, you know, while I think we can learn a lot from type 2 diabetes research and apply it towards PCOS, in some cases, we also have to be aware that this is a different condition and then there are different, you know, reasons why it develops. Um, So I think it would be a mistake to say like, oh, it works for type 2 diabetes. Like, let's definitely do it for PCOS, you know. It's, it's just, you know, that's just putting everybody in a big box again. Right. uh, But yeah, um, type two diabetes is a similar condition. And so, you know, we can, especially with the insulin resistance piece, like, um, in my work, I have done ketogenic diets with people with type two diabetes and had really, really good results with that actually. Uh, so I do think that there's a place, a, a, place for that with a lot of people with type two diabetes. And I think that the research will play that out over time, that it's a good, uh, that it's a really good intervention for that group. Uh, cause if the body has kind of gone that far into not processing, um, glucose and not being able to produce insulin as well, then, you know, limiting the amount of insulin that we need to process our food, I think could really make a big impact. But anyway, that's, that's a whole different, that's a whole different conversation, right? Um, So let's talk about the Mediterranean diet, shall we? Because this is like sort of my secret favorite diet for PCOS Um, with with caveats, I should say, because um, it's not right for everyone. It does have um, Mediterranean diet does have dairy in it. It has alcohol in it. Uh, it has gluten in it. And like I said before, you know, I do kind of agree and like sort of a gluten-free, dairy-free thing for PCOS, especially at the beginning. Uh, so it's not right for everyone. However, I think that this diet is really the most promising intervention for PCOS right now. Um, there's a lot more evidence for its benefits than any other diet type, um, you know, maybe DASH diet would be another one that there's a lot of evidence for, but I'm not a big fan of the DASH diet, but that's another topic for another day. Um, but Mediterranean diet has 
a lot of evidence behind it for reducing inflammation. And we know that PCOS is an inflammatory condition and has a huge underpinning of inflammation. Um, it's also good evidence again, uh, for Mediterranean diet helping with insulin resistance. And, you know, both of those two things are kind of the underpinning of PCOS, but also you still get to eat food. Like, <laughs> You don't have to do any major food group restriction. You don't have to cut out dairy completely. You don't have to cut out um, gluten completely, you know. So I like it, especially as an entry-level diet for PCOS until you figure out your own body and what works for it. Because all it's doing is it's moving you towards whole foods. It's moving you to a diet intake that's higher in beneficial fatty acids. So monounsaturated fats, olive oil, avocado oil, all that kind of stuff. And away from the Western diet with its emphasis on meat and saturated fat and, and all of this stuff. Um, it's moving you away from sweets and sugar. It's moving you away from artificial sweeteners. It's moving you towards wholeness. And I think that really, when it comes down to it at the base of everything, all these healthy diets have in common is that wholeness, is that focus on clean, whole, real food. Um, and the Mediterranean diet does a really, really good job of that. Plus, it's kind of fun. I think it's a fun diet to do. And this is, I guess, if I had to classify how I eat primarily, I would put it in this category. Um, because I do, you know, and this is just personal, not that you need to eat exactly like me, but I do still consume gluten. Um, I don't eat much dairy at all, but occasionally I do. Um, I stay away from eggs, which are big on the Mediterranean diet. But other than that, um, I'm, you know, I'm eating a lot of avocado and olive oil. Um, I credit that to my, beautiful skin. Uh, and, um, you know, it's just a, it's, it's a lot of vegetables too. And I think for me growing up, not, um, not really liking vegetables, not much, not eating vegetables much that a diet that places a heavy emphasis on plant foods is important for me. Um, and so kind of following like a Mediterranean approach helps me to do that because I do try to follow its rules about like red meat consumption and stuff. And that gets me thinking more about eating plants, I guess. Whereas before, you know, I'm from Texas, so we eat a lot of steak and brisket and all that stuff. And so before my kind of thought process was like protein and then what goes around the protein. I still think like that in some ways, because I do think with PCOS that we need protein, um, for a lot of factors, but, uh, but the protein is not like the center end all be all of the meal. Um, the veggies are. So Mediterranean diet has a lot of good evidence behind it. Let's look at some of this stuff specifically on PCOS. Um, here's one study where they, they actually took women who, and just kind of questioned them on how they eat normally and found that those who ate more of a Mediterranean type diet had uh, a less of an association with PCOS than those who didn't. So they kind of concluded from that, that those who eat a Mediterranean diet, you know, it could be beneficial for PCOS. So they're not saying eat a Mediterranean diet, it's beneficial for PCOS. What they are saying is that people who eat a Mediterranean diet are less likely to have PCOS. So, um, you know, just interesting. Here's one on the Mediterranean diet. Um, you know, kind of a review saying that Mediterranean diet has been associated with greater improvements of insulin resistance in obese individuals compared with other nutritional interventions. 
And there's plenty of more evidence specifically on Mediterranean diet and um, its role in inflammation, its role in insulin resistance. In fact, in my master's program, when they would show us research about different diet types and things like that, there was a clear preference for Mediterranean diet in a lot of the the classes that I took. Uh, and I actually like kind of resented that at the time and felt like, you know, the Mediterranean diet was sort of being shoved down my throat. At the time, I was very paleo, pro-paleo. Um, and, you know, with time and practice and watching people respond to different diet types, I have moved away a bit from that. You know, I still do think that a paleo style intervention that focuses on whole real food and lots of plants is a good diet for a lot of people, especially if they have a big inflammation component. But I also can see the merit in Mediterranean approaches, especially when it comes to just relaxation of some of these rigid diet structures that we create these days. Like there's really no need for that in the majority of people. Um, and so you have to find what works for you. You know, you really do. Um, because everyone with PCOS is different and they're going to respond differently to different things. I hope that today's podcast kind of gave you some, some look and some insight into what I think about this stuff. And I hope it helps you come to a better conclusion about what you think and, uh, use your critical thinking skills. You are the expert on what works best for you. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with experimenting. I do want to say, if you do decide to try any of these diet types, um, you want to give any type of diet intervention a little bit of time before you give up on it. So particularly if you're coming off of keto or something very low carb and moving to something with more carbohydrates, like a Mediterranean diet, for example, you need to give your body time to adjust to that. Uh, same thing if you're going from a higher carbohydrate diet to a lower carbohydrate diet, your body has to adjust to that, but it will. Um, and so give yourself at least a month um, on anything before you judge it and say, oh, this doesn't work for me. You know, a lot of people give up on, on lowering their carbs within that first week because they get withdrawal symptoms and they feel, you know, they feel dizzy and lightheaded and all that. Um, and, uh, that stuff usually passes with, with time. So, um, usually the first four days are the hardest on any kind of diet intervention. So I would just give yourself time to make a conclusion about what works for you, what doesn't work for you. And same thing when you're looking at weight loss too, you've got to give your body time to adjust. Um, but yeah, but I hope that helps. Let me know if you guys have any questions and if you want a deeper perspective on all of this and you're kind of like, wanting more specific help with what a good meal plan mm -hmm. looks like for PCOS. Um, I do have a PCOS membership community thing on Patreon that, that the link is below for that. And, uh, for $15 a month, you get weekly meal plans for me and also special videos where we go into depth on other things like, um, everything's PCOS specific, but we also talk a lot about, um, supplements and things like that in a more, uh, hopefully specific and helpful way. So 
If that sounds good to you, the link is below. I also would like to just take one second and ask that if you are listening to this um, or you have iTunes or Apple Podcasts, um, if you wouldn't mind leaving a review for the podcast, it would help so much. Um, It is always so hard to get those Apple reviews because it takes that extra step of you going and and rating um, the podcast, but uh, I would appreciate it if you have the time and you wouldn't mind just leaving it a little rating. So, you know, five stars, hopefully. Um, but anyway, I hope that you all have a really great week and, uh, we will be back next week with more. Talk soon. Bye. If you learned something today or you enjoyed today's episode or both, I'd love it if you would leave me an iTunes review and share this with a friend. If this brought up a question for you that you would like to hear me answer, there is a Google form that you can use to ask me any question you want, and I might answer it here on the podcast. I do it all the time, and I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.